Well, Jerry, what's the damage so far? We may actually make our quota today, sir. Hmm. First time in a month. Huh? <laughs> what happened? The kid almost touched me. She got this close to me. She wasn't scared of you? She was only six! I could have been dead! I could have died! Keep it together, man! <laughs> hey, we got a dead door over here! Whoa, we're coming! coming. Look out! Out of the way! Excuse us! We've lost 58 doors this week, sir. Oh, kids these days. They just don't get scared like they used to. What a rip! scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fear of God podcast. Not just another episode of the Fear of God podcast, but also another episode of our summer series that we're having just so much fun in, that of Funny or Die. Talking to you right now is one of your co-hosts, Nathan Rouse. Now, typically with me is Just Reed Lackey. However, not only has Reed, he he was here a minute ago, uh, but he did say he needed to go make some more yellow snow cones specifically because we do, ladies and gentlemen, have a guest with us today. Yes, the one and only from the Great White North, and for those of us here, perhaps our Great White Hope, ladies and gentlemen, Vera Gowdy. Vera, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. You are very welcome, and and it is our pleasure to have you. So Vera is a listener, more or less from the beginning, but you can fill those gaps in, who participates pretty routinely on our social media um, because of the nature of this conversation, the material. Uh, she too is a parent like Reed and I, and I thought you would have some really keen insight for the material we're talking about today. You know what? I, here, it looks like you, hey, uh, Reed, there you are, buddy. Look at you. You've got the snow cones all ready look yes, at you yes oh and so, you're and you're practicing for the company musical as I, well i am practicing for the company play um so don't be alarmed by these these are lemon and chocolate i don't want anybody I'm to sure. get any weird oh, ideas my was, okay was, no no strange ideas yeah. uh, chocolate snow cones are not something i'm used to e- anyway it's but experimental I, I, it's uh, yeah it's it yeah i'm trying i'm trying it out i mean so far so far i've been i appreciate i appreciate you trying out a new recipe for our guest yeah you know that's results are mixed so what yes. 
<laughs> and she fits right in. Awesome. <laughs> well, Reed, Reed, welcome, Vera. She is here. She's going to hang out with us for hey, this fifth Hi, conversation, Reed. Funny or Die. Awesome. So, uh, I t- so I'll tell you what. Why don't we spend a few minutes here? First, Well, first of all, Hi Nathan, how are you, buddy? Hey, buddy, I am buddy. doing swell. I am. Life is life is woo. Life is wild. I feel Sometimes, like I've just been I've been going in and out a bunch of doors, and they're leading me to different worlds. Like that is how wackadoo life wow. feels right now. But Sometimes I'm glad to be life here. Be life. Yes, I'm glad to be uh, in the midst of funny or die. I'm glad to be here with you and Vera. I am really glad to be talking about this movie today. Awesome. Well, uh, why don't we do something? I know normally this is the point at which we would, uh, you know, dive right into what you're watching, what you're reading and listening to. But I want to spend a little bit of time with our guest uh, for a minute. But before we do that, I want to give listeners a couple of reminders. Number one, uh, if you look in the feed, we now have some timestamps so you can... Uh, skip right to your favorite segments, re-listen to some other things. You can, if you haven't watched part of the material, you can move around and, you know, find your way through that. Uh, but also, most importantly and most especially, we are running a contest right now through Funny or Die where you have the chance to win $100 in credit towards Voodoo.com, V-U-D-U, the movie streaming service. Um, So how you can enter that contest is by leaving us an iTunes rating and review. You have to screenshot that review and give it to us by email, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. That is how we will verify that it is you. You can also post to any of the major social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. You have to tag the show when you post, and that will let us know that you have uh, posted about it, and we will enter you into the contest. It's two points for every social media post. It is five points for every review that you screenshot and send to us, uh, which I think it'll only let you do one. But do that, even if you've done it. It's exciting. Back We've day. already got oh. some participants, Reed. We do, we do. So, um, so yes, please do not lose sight of that contest. Wanted to remind you of that. And now, without further ado, Vera. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the craziness. I'm not even quite sure what to call it. <laughs> Crazy is a good word. She's, she's she's been pretty present. I think she's got a good idea of the crazy. <laughs> she knows. She knows. Um, so Vera, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself? We're interested in anything and everything that you would want to share. Um, most especially if you have some favorite horror films, um, any particular. Uh, faith elements or faith background that you'd like to share, you can share as little or much as you want. If you just want listeners to know your name, that's fine with us. If you want them to know everything else about you, that's fine as well. Okay. Um, my name is Vera. Uh, I, I guess I'm like the first foreign correspondent you've had on the show. <laughs> yes. New official title right there. You just <laughs> that's self, self-dubbed. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I live in Canada, um, specifically the Toronto-ish area. And um, yeah been a listener for a very long time I guess since near the beginning at least um my husband Rob has his own podcast and um Reed guested on a Halloween episode I think a couple years back sure did and in preparation for me listening to Rob's episode he told me to check out Fear of God and I did and I liked it and I stuck around we appreciate that well you guys it's it's fun uh it's fun Vera I got to well I say got to know uh, we we waved at each other across the miles. Rob and I were on Two Geek Soup recently to discuss Avengers Endgame. But you yeah, have I the also dis- listen to. <laughs> yes, yes, you have the distinct. 
uh, distinct distinction. I mean, that's clearly redundant, but in the moment we'll go with it. You have the distinction of living in infamy as our, not just our now foreign correspondent, but our craft services as well, because oh, yeah. of your, your famous alien chicken dish. Will you remind us, was that just, what, what was the context for this dish you made? So um, we have a friend from church, shout out Erica Mayer, and she um, grew up in a, a very strict household where she wasn't allowed to watch a lot of uh, movies and mm. things that are, are pop culture related. Sure. And Rob and I grew up in households that were, uh, let's call them a little bit more lax in terms of what we were allowed to watch and consume. And so we're, we're geeks. And um, so Erica, a good, good friend of ours has been very interested in, in watching movies with us. So we have movie nights and we, she picks a, a bunch of movies she wants to watch, and then I create a meal or a dessert that's, um, awesome. that's themed. So that was our Alien Trilogy movie night, and it was a chestburster chicken. That is so glorious. <laughs> you you are a good friend, Vera. Like <laughs> I, if if I were ignorant to a lot of pop culture, I would want a friend like you and Rob to be like. That's that. I feel like. You know, this is just me. This is Nathan speaking, not the fear of God. That's like the gospel in action. It's like, come in, come in <laughs> from the cold and let us feed you some chest burster chicken and let you know about the wow. good news of horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's it. See, I'm just see, trying to be a good friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I actually, you know, you, you've hit on this already. I actually had you on uh, as a as a sub means to our primary conversation because I just like, can you help us? Can you do you have room for a family of five, Reed can come if they want. Well, it's six of us now. Like, we're we're struggling a little bit down here, and I just want to know: can we come just live with you? Oh, because in Canada, yes, in Canada. Yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm very being very specific about our our country of origin right now. <laughs> <laughs> just want to provide some context for that. We're just not invading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not invading. You know, your home specifically. It's just we. we well, need maybe, to maybe. You're yeah, welcome like... anytime, and I will make you a delicious themed meal. Oh, that's um, amazing. That's glorious. But yes, uh, I believe our prime minister has said our borders, you're welcome. <laughs> so that's that's probably, wonderful. Probably that's wonderful. Back to where everyone else is doing it. <laughs> I don't know. How how soon can we get there? Um, drive for you, Nathan. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk after the, after the recording. <laughs> so regardless, Vera, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us for this conversation. I think we're going to have a good time. So, Vera, I have to mention one thing before we go into our next segment. So I've really been into, uh, well, I've started to get into cooking lately. Very simple, very rudimentary dishes. Nothing like chestburster chicken. But my <laughs> wife, for uh, Father's Day, bought me a Star Trek cookbook. It is thick. It has a variety of different recipes. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And it's got uh, everything from, you know, different different kinds of food dishes, uh, lunches, breakfasts, dinners, uh, including... There is a recipe where I could make my own mead if I wanted to, like including like the fermenting fermentation process and everything. I'm like, this is a magnificent cookbook. That's amazing. So if I get good at it, if I get better at this as I'm practicing through my Star Trek cookbook, I may reach out for a few recipes. I may just be like, okay, I want to try my hand at a a Vera Gaudi specific themed meal that I can try to replicate myself. I won't do as good of a job, but I would love to try my hand at it. I'm sure you'll do brilliantly. <laughs> so um, thank you again for being on the show Let's go ahead and dive right into our next segment Which is uh, <clears throat> Excuse me everybody Ladies and gentlemen We now present you another episode Of 
hashtag TV guideposts presented to you by the fear of God in which we are making our way through season two of Ash versus Evil Dead. Things are about to get real crazy as Ash goes head to head with the wicked demon ball in some wild, outrageous, delusional episodes. We have a very special guest with us this week, and we want to invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this installment of TV Guideposts. It's so lovely when you do that, Reed. It just makes me... It's I don't very know. soothing. Thank it's so you. Soothing. Thank you. And the little... It's- Little little music backing you up. It's, it's, oh, it's yeah, just it's glorious. It, I, it's it's one of my new favorite segments of the show. It's 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 pretty nice. It's pretty nice. I feel like I'm like either in in like a bookstore or like an airport bathroom. Like I don't know. It's just real. Wow, real I would not calming. equate bookstore <laughs> and airport bathroom. Like when I think of calming places, yeah, I think of, yeah. I do well, think of I was bookstore. thinking. That that was more with the voiceover talking narration, but oh. the the nice calm voice. So that See, was my, more, like, oh, please you know, please uh, proceed to your gate. Exactly, yes, exactly, exactly. See, Calmly if you leave your file. if you leave your baggage unattended, you will be arrested. Ah, oh, that's true. That <laughs> wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna go where my mind was going. Hey, you know, whatever. Oh, so um, I feel like I know exactly where your mind is going. <laughs> you probably do. Um, so we uh, we're gonna be talking about Ash versus Evil Dead, specifically season two, episodes six, seven, and eight. But before we get there, we have a special guest, um, Vera. Uh, we invited you in, kind of in media race with these, you know, Ash versus Evil Dead segments, but. I am understanding that you have quite the fandom with Ash vs. Evil Dead. I've seen pictures of things. Why don't you talk a little bit about your history just with the films, the show, anything and everything about your experience with Ash vs. Evil Dead? Um, I've been a fan of the Evil Dead trilogy since high school, something that um, me and my friends in high school, we watched a ton over and over again. And Bruce Campbell has been my favorite actor (laughs) since then, basically. And nobody knows who he is, and I have to explain who he is every single time, but I just think he's hilarious, and oh, yeah. I, I appreciate his body of work. Um, I'm a really big fan of cheesy horror and just cheese in general, yeah. um, the food and the media. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and and so um, when it became a TV show, I was really excited about that as well, um, and, I, and I don't mean to name drop, but um, I interpret at... Um, I'm a sign language interpreter and I interpret at Fan Expo, which is like our uh, San Diego Comic-Con oh, in awesome. Toronto. And I've so, had the opportunity to meet and interpret for Bruce Campbell a oh bunch of gosh. times. Yeah. That is so <laughs> awesome. Is he as wonderful in person as we would like to hope he is from all of his uh, work? Yes, absolutely. So I did his, um, you know, his game show on Con TV. Yeah, I've yeah. heard of that. Yes. So I, I interpreted um, the game show they had. Um, one of those at Fan Expo a couple years back, and um, a couple of panels with him, and one joint panel between him and Ted Ramey. Oh, oh wow, that was great. That's yeah, so it was awesome. Essentially, they they did a segment called "You Are the Panel," where they just called people in the audience on stage to showcase their talents, and it just turned into audience members beating Ted Ramey with whatever cosplay weapons they had brought with them that day, and it was hilarious. <laughs> That's so great. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! And you do you went to you and Rob went to the Evil Dead musical, did you not? Splatter Zone the, style. 
I've been to Evil Dead the Musical like five or six times. I've lost count. <laughs> Welcome home, Vera. That's awesome. That's fantastic. That's and three great. Three times in the splatter section. Three times not in the splatter section. The last time, I think I sent a picture to the the Fear of God podcast group, yes. but yes. Yes. that was the most covered in blood I've ever been. <laughs> we we walked around the street in Toronto afterwards, and people were like crossing over to the other side. They were concerned. <laughs> Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, oh, that's you're in, so great. You're in, you're in good company here. Oh, that's um, so awesome. Now, uh, Vera, have you watched the series more than once, or like have you watched it once and you kind of refreshed a little bit for this conversation? I watched it once and then watched rewatched it for this conversation. Gotcha. Okay. Did you rewatch? Now, there's no pressure either way on this answer. Did you rewatch just sort of the the episodes we're going to be covering here in a moment, or did you sort of want to get a scope for the whole entire series um, beforehand? Either answer no. is acceptable, obviously. I went back to episode one. Oh, that's fantastic. Because, that's yeah, I love this. I mean, like, I've said this to Nathan multiple times. I'm, wor- I'm worried I'm not going to have a role on the show by the time this conversation's done. <laughs> I mean, I love this show so much. Now, I know you have had your fandom, you've already expressed that um, and your fandom extends back further than my affection for the Evil Dead trilogy, though I do enjoy them quite a bit. Um, Ash versus Evil Dead, when it came on, I was expecting kind of the same level of, of affection and appreciation that I had for the films, which is respect, admiration, genuine enjoyment, but it, it, they're kind of in a pocket for me. But Ash versus Evil Dead uh, quickly rose. I mean, like, this is a show, just, I mean, this is the culture we live in, how this is uh, a measure of my affection for it. This is a show that is available and has been readily available on Netflix, but when able to, I purchased it all because I just enjoy it that much and wanted to revisit it. And so I've been so excited that we're getting into it. I just love this iteration. Uh, Final question before we get into the specifics of the show. Where does Ash versus Evil Dead sit in the overall scope of like the trilogy like where you know what's your what's the creme de la creme of evil dead material if you will so for me it's uh oh it's so hard um i'd say army of darkness okay then then the tv series then evil dead one evil dead two but i love evil dead two oh sure of course even the bottom is going to be you know thought of fondly i understand exactly yeah. Um, well, without further ado, let's dig into the specifics. The first episode up here uh, titled Trapped Inside. Nathan, uh, Vera and I uh, have been you know, waxing poetic about Evil Dead for a while. Why don't you give us your impressions of this uh, particular episode first? Sure. Um, I, it's been a couple of days since I've watched this, I think, and I've, I've, I'm a decent chunk ahead of here, so I'm refreshing myself. But um, I do think this sentence in my notes or this pair of sentences in my notes could speak uh more of the whole series and not just this episode but my notes right now just say poor pablo this sucks <laughs> yeah oh absolutely the stuff now is this when they're pablo doing the um incantations and stuff on him and the upper part of ash's house is that um what i'm thinking of not for yes uh for trapped inside yes uh-huh. that, yeah that they're they're trying to sort of call forth the book um sort of accelerate the process of the joining of him with the necronomicon uh so that they can finally receive the spell that's gonna man this is so complicated if listeners have not watched the show um they're, they're trying to call forth the spell so that it'll be visible on his body for them to banish ball back to the underworld right right yep. I mean, generally speaking, like I think I said last week, um, when we when Reed you and I discussed this, I mean, 
personally, I think uh, after season one, which isn't bad, I think the show just continues to increase in quality. Um, mm-hmm. And so this, you know, this whole little run here uh, as part of that, um, that is, I think, finishing off the arc in his house, in Ash's house, that then pivots into the kind of mental institution or the or the ins- right. asylum, whatever it is. Um, but no, I mean, I really enjoyed this. Now, they um, they they pretty directly address what is pretty you know one of the most infamous scenes in the the franchise, that of the uh, tree scene from the first film. Oh, they I do. Was kind of yeah. I was like, well, well, well there you go. <laughs> I literally wrote down in my notes, quote, branch banged, end quote, is just about the most unsettling way you can phrase the Cheryl tree scene in Evil Dead One. Yes. Oh, except for quote. Uh, make like a tree and f you. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so, so it's crazy. intense. It's intense. And Nathan, I don't know if you would have known this, uh, Vera. I'm sure you did. Cheryl is the original actor who played the same role in the original Evil Dead film. They brought her I did, back. I did not know that. I, you know, it's funny because it did ping with me. Like I wonder if it was, and then I think I just forgot to look it up. Yep. That's but, cool. Yeah, it was the same one. And she has had, I don't know what she did in the, like, if you looked at her IMDb credit, it's pretty much like Evil Dead and then a large gap until she shows up in, like, a couple of indie horror films and then shows up back in uh, Ash versus Evil Dead as Cheryl. Um, right. Vera, what notes do you have, if any, specifics on this episode other than, yeah, that infamous, that infamous tree? Um, A lot of mine are... Things that I just kind of noticed in the episode, um, I wrote down, this is going to sound kind of mean, and I don't mean it to be super mean, but it says um, that the actor who plays Ball, I thought was Matthew Lillard at first, and I thought he had not aged well. (laughs) (laughs) I kept thinking he was Brad Dourif until I saw him in the light, and I was like, oh yeah, that's not him. Yeah. Um, But then it turns out, it's kind of like a mini Xena reunion, because he played um, Discord. Discord? Really? No, he was Strife. Strife was the guy. From oh, her- that's yeah. crazy. I never would have pinged that. That's that's really hysterical. It does seem like Bruce Campbell and Lucy Lawless are like constantly bringing their friends from Xena days in on in on this. And Bruce Campbell wasn't even in Xena that much. But no, that is pretty supporting cool. Supporting role as a Tolicus, but I guess lifelong friendships. Yeah, but she, exactly. she's married to Robert Tapert, who was the producer on that. So then that makes sense. Oh. He produced all of the Evil Dead's as well. Gotcha. I did not know that factoid. That's fascinating. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense now. Um, I love, I love when a plan comes together. It really did not click with me that we were getting the Encyclopedia of <laughs> Encyclopedia oh, yeah. Brown of Ash of of the Evil Dead series in Vera. I mean, this there were awesome. so many other benefits you brought to this conversation. It did not click with me just how much we were going to get out of you on this. So, so that's awesome. Um, I just, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe in the spirit of that, I think my favorite line from this episode is Kelly DePablo, where she just says, there's my powerful vagina. I thought that was, that was, that, that, that was great. It's so awesome. I really do like the dynamic that's developed between Kelly and Pablo. Like it, it really sort of solidifies this, you know, very affectionate brother sister kind of thing that they've got going on. Um, speaking of that, though, um, I've I've got a note here. So Ash says to Kelly at one point, "You're like the daughter I never had." What's interesting about that is that there was a plot line that was in development, uh, toyed around with in during this season. It was later abandoned and slightly modified, where Kelly was actually going to be revealed to be Ash's daughter. Really? Yes. 
And it was, it was, uh, there's a lot of like apocryphal information about why it was abandoned. Uh, some reports say that it was because Dana DeLorenzo and Bruce Campbell thought it really wouldn't be a good idea. Some people thought that the writers and producers just sort of pivoted away from it. But whatever it was, it is confirmed that they were toying with that notion for a while and ultimately abandoned and kind of modified the ideas that they would have explored through that for season three. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm okay with them not skywalkering it. Not exactly. everybody has to be related all the time. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, before we get into our next episode, did anybody else have anything about Trapped Inside specifically? Um, I love how angry and sardonic Kelly has gotten in <laughs> season two, especially. She's, it's great. Um, oh, yeah. And I thought that the picture crying before Cheryl comes um, back to life was a pretty cool practical effect. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember that. This, And that's one of the things I really appreciate about this show. This show knows how to do, and I've heard in some of the behind-the-scenes things, like they actively sought out what's a way we can do a different, fun, cool, practical effect. Um, like they really just dug their heels in on this is the way we want this show to be in the spirit of how the franchise was before there were all these you know, CG-saturated opportunities. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Um, and my last note is, and it kind of leads into the next episode, was that cool. the end credit music is always on point. And the end credit music in this episode was about an insane asylum. And, and they're like, it, it was a little jaunty tune that was like, they're coming to take me away. And then oh, that's right. he, he wakes up in the next episode and he's in a mental hospital. And I was like, that's awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and you're right. That I, I do. I am impressed probably most in season three, but throughout the run of the show with their choices of soundtrack. They're really uh, very intentional about it, and it's obvious. Um, so that's great. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pivot into our next episode, which is called Delusion. I'm going to lead with one note right here and then bounce around a little bit. I, for reasons I cannot justify to any in any sane way just love the ashy slashy puppet I mean, that, <laughs> that puppet is outrageous and hysterical and so wrong and yet oh so right he is he is so so funny to me i mean it's just yeah i really get a huge kick out of it i do think in general and this would be a uh, a summary or a, one summary statement on the show of like okay what do i think this show does well and one of the things I think the series does really well is it throws everything against the wall. Like it does not. <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean that critic or or dismiss or you know um, derisively. Like sure. it is it is not afraid to just barrel through story. It is not afraid to just kind of try whatever clearly comes to the writers' minds. Like it and and it, to your point, read about Ashley Slashy the doll, like or the puppet. I mean. And I guess, I guess, in the spirit of that, what is so impressive is because of the nature of the threat of the series, this quote unquote evil that can kind of manifest in any way. It all works, and that's what's yeah. really impressive. Is is you know you can have a, a monster puppet, uh, you can have you know all the creepy monster effects, you can have deadites, and it all contextually works just because the threat is this generic kind of evilness. Right. No, that's a really, really good point. Vera, what are your thoughts on Delusion? Uh, I thought it was a really fun episode. I love Ashy's Slashy, of course. Um, <laughs> I like that Ash's concern with Kelly breaking her fingers is that she's going to run out of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's the problem there. 
I hear um, that, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I hear no, that okay. uh, Dana, because that's obviously like a, a, a prosthetic that she's using, and they she got so into that breaking fingers scene that she actually broke the device a couple of times <laughs> where well, they, could, they couldn't reset it. They had to keep like taking it out to be fixed and everything like that because she got so into it. Well, she plays crazy really well. She does. What uh, another note that I have here is, uh, and I don't know why this pinged to me, but the episode is really very different from the rest of the show. But I feel like it was really smart in terms of progressing some of the themes that they're doing. One of the reasons that I think season two is my favorite overall season of the show is is how. Even though you have many different types of episodes and types of stories inside, they all kind of work together thematically. It's all rooted in this whole, like, you know, back in his town, the perception of whether he's crazy or whether he's, you know, humanity's savior or whatever. Um, And they play with that in a lot of different ways. And I thought this was a really interesting way to pivot that and just really dive into Ash, you know, uh, being force-fed that he's in a mental institution because he actually killed all of these people. And, and uh, Bruce Campbell had actually cited this episode as his favorite episode in the entire series run, um, probably because he got to play all these different kinds of, of levels and, and everything. Like that's, that. that's interesting to me because I think um, this will, this will be an easy bridge into episode eight, but initially the for the first half of this episode more or less i thought this is kind of a tired premise like you know mm. the 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 middle of the series type of is the person really crazy type episode where as a viewer we're we're pretty confident that that's not the case so it was it was a little slower to me in the in the initial uh sort of going of the episode and but what strengthens it is one the convention of ashley slashy the puppet and where they go with that sure. um but two kind of what episode eight does for me personally episode eight is strong is very strong and kind of redeems whatever neutral feelings i had about the convention of is he or isn't he crazy so um you know i mean i think pivoting into episode eight if that's okay reed um well let's check it vera did you have anything else on seven i am fine to pivot into eight let's do it yeah go ahead yeah, I mean, just episode eight, specifically titled Ashy Slashy. This is where you get a lot of really good, um, I mean, just cool imagery like uh, Ash and the military fatigues with the chainsaw against the wall mm-hmm. type of stuff. You know, kind of cool stuff like that. Um, and it's going to resolve the, you know, has he been brainwashed or not type of stuff in this episode. Yeah, this is uh, this is an extremely strong episode. I mentioned in a previous conversation that the episode episode four of this season, DUI, is like top five for me. Uh, right beside it, possibly topping it, is Ashy Slashy. I think this episode is absolutely outstanding. I think it's amazing. Um, before I wax, you know, just uh, completely go off on how much I love this episode, Vera, your thoughts on Ashy Slashy? I really love this episode as well. And I'm glad that Ashy Slashy doesn't end up being a figment of Ash's imagination or whatever spell ball has him under. Like, I like that he's a real thing. But how does he move around with no puppet legs so fast? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and uh, of the puppet, I love the line, uh, Kelly uh when she first sees him. She says, I know I've seen some pretty disturbing stuff lately, but you are adorable. <laughs> That's just a really, really great bit. 
<laughs> I do love it. I do love it. Um, one of the things I love about this episode, uh, well, that Kelly versus, you're mentioning Kelly's interaction with it. Their fight is so outrageously it's great. great. It's yeah. so great. When, um, they, when she walked into the room and it, the camera lingers on the bedpan, I was like, ew, why is it full of pee? And then they have this fight. And I was sure like, enough. Oh, yeah. that's why. Nothing accidental about anything nope. you see. It's kind of like show. the it's kind of like the jury in the morgue. You know? oh, yeah, like yep. you know it's gonna co- show up again. <laughs> Boy, does it ever! That um, means something. <laughs> the uh, the thing I really like about this uh, about this episode is there are perhaps more so than other uh, Ash versus Evil Dead episodes. There's um, a real there's some really nice subtle callouts to like the traditional slasher films um i mean it's called ashy slashy but like i you mentioned earlier nathan about him running the chainsaw along the wall right that that's a very freddy move like that's a very sure. sort of yeah, yeah. you know run it along there plus the way he sort of appears in the distance and everything really reminds me of like a Jason or a Michael Myers, you know, that, sure. that come in after them in that capacity. And I think that was very intentional on the the crafters part to really set up that sort of dynamic only to pivot into one of my, if not my very favorite reveal of the entire show, which it, it, like getting to that place where everybody's converging Ruby, Kelly, Pablo, they've all made their way in. Uh, the sheriff and his daughter, Linda, like they're, you know, some of them just getting completely eviscerated, but then all culminating in Pablo and Kelly and Ruby. And then you think that Ash is going to kill Pablo. And then it is revealed that he has actually been executing his his plan, his ridiculous nonsensical plan. <laughs> uh, that that has been what he's been doing this whole time. I love that reveal. That that when it happens, it just excites me every single time I see it. I love it so much. Well, Reed, you'll you'll you may remember this. So I don't know if you want to. I, I would incorporate the very end of this episode here, but I I won't for the moment. If you want to hold off on that, but I did text Let's hold you. On. Yeah, I did text you. That was that was the moment was uh when he reveals the plan and it's all coming together. To me with so I I am approaching most of this series and franchise a bit cold, you know, like just just kind of getting to know the world and all that sort of stuff. That moment is probably the first in the series of real exultant kind of like, ah, oh, that is really cool type of yeah, experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, once you believe that there's a pretty heroic moment for the team, that's a really, it's a really significant moment for the show. Absolutely. Uh, Vera, you have any, uh, th- I mean, we're not ending right now because we've got one major thing to talk about at the end of this episode, but do you have anything else before we reveal the big stinger at the very end of this episode? I love how Pablo kind of teaches Ruby how to be human in this episode. I think it's mm. really adorable. Yeah. Pablo has a lot of nice moments in this. He's got that nice moment between he and Kelly when they enter the hospital. It's almost like sweet. And then I like when they're out in the car He's uh, he's like, come on, ghost beaters, you know. Yeah, like, that's great. That's great. <laughs> everybody leaves him hanging, but like, oh man, Ray Santiago is so great in this. He's 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 wonderful. And that speaking is, of, yeah, <laughs> and that is that is why, like you mentioned, that why don't you tell us, Nathan, uh, the full context for the note that you gave me? Sure. <laughs> well, sure, sure enough. So my note literally here says, "Pretty great heroic victory for the team when Ash's plan pays off." And I left it there once that gets revealed. 
And then uh, they pinball or, or have her pinball. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they, you know, kind of inca- incapacitate him or whatever. And Pablo is, is working his voodoo um, and the stuff's happening. Well, uh, if you're not going to watch the series, Ball, his weapon of choice up to this point, this, this demon character is this elongated kind of fingernail that is, you know, I mean, in earlier episodes, it rends people's skin from their bodies. It's, it's pretty ridiculous and absurd and violent and grisly. Well, in the cacophony of, of all of this incantation and stuff going on and there's, you know, thunder and lightning or whatever, you as the viewers know, because the camera is important, you know, tells you and shows you that, uh, ball swipes at Pablo while he's above him. Um, and it is even funny. I even caught it in the moment, but I just, it just really wasn't clicking with me the significance of what that would mean. Yeah. Um, so they finished this incantation, uh, ball, the character bursts and, and black goo. Um, everyone but Pablo is celebrating Pablo's, you know, kind of mystical work that he just performed. And then Pablo's upper body falls off of his lower body, <laughs> clearly marking him for at least a little bit as, uh, uh, dead. And so my note just says, pretty great heroic victory for the team when Ash's plan pays off. Ellipsis. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it was, it was this really great exultant moment that bottoms out about 30 seconds later. Vera, did you watch this live? Did you watch this as it aired on Stars or did you catch it in later, like when it came to Netflix or something? No, we don't have stars, so I had to watch it on Netflix later. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, so I I had the good fortune to watch um, stars would do like a free preview or like, hey, try it for a month on cable or whatever. Um, and so I got to watch each of these seasons as they aired. Um, I, I, when that ending happened, the first time Pablo died, I was like, uh-uh. Like, you can't put me through everything that you just put me through and just literally slice one of my favorite characters in half. I cannot believe that they've just done this. It's Uh, such a roller coaster. It is because I was like, and the way they react to it and everything. And then the way the next episode starts, which we're not getting into the next episode, but like, yeah, I I really thought I was like, Oh my gosh, they can't have done this. I don't know who made this decision. I was sitting there. I was like looking up like, is, is Ray leaving the show? Like what's going on? (laughs) It was such a, it was, it was such a hard hitting moment for me because that's such a thrilling episode until that final moment. And you're so right. It's such a roller coaster. It's, it's completely crazy. Yeah. My last note is just Pablo. No. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it amazing? The level of, storytelling they are able to integrate into the like I'm thinking about this episode is 27 minutes long it's it's only 27 minutes long but so many things happen in this episode and if I, when I'm when I'm rewatching it I find so many times I'm like oh yeah that that must happen later because we're almost to the end of, nope it's right here that's <laughs> well, I, I think Reed you're you're identifying what I was alluding to earlier but you you articulated it better like they there's so in the series itself, not just a singular episode like this one, though. Yes, this one as well. There is so much story at work and in, in, in a good yeah. way, in a cool way. And 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 honestly, I think part of that is why um, the the Pablo bisecting Pablo hits so hard is now I am not to the end of the series yet. So I don't know how it completely resolves, though. I'm not too far from it. But this is one of the where I, from where I'm at, one of the most poignant little mm. turns in the series. I mean, it is it it really is a, a bit emotionally weighty. Um, you've really bought into this 
core set of characters. Um, you know, it it's we're not yet to the moment where it gets really crazy in terms of the the narrative. Um, sure. So no, this is this is a this is a really great episode with a really great ending. I mean, a lot yeah. of them have pretty normal kind of send off endings. This is a true cliffhanger uh, in the traditional sense. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, well, uh, I guess that that brings us to an end. Do you guys mind if I take us out? Go for it. Okay. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes yet another installment of hashtag TV Guideposts brought to you by The Fear of God. Tune in next week where, unfortunately, we will not have Vera with us, but we will have Ash with us, and we will see the conclusion of Season 2. We'll find out exactly how the gang deals with the aftermath of Pablo's devastating death and how, if they if they have any further problems, how are they going to solve them? How are they going to get rid of evil once and for all? We don't know, but the show will tell us. So join us when we talk about... <laughs> Ash versus Evil Dead, the conclusion of season two, and the premiere of season three next week on hashtag TV Guideposts. <laughs> you, you, had a hard, you had a hard time ending that one, didn't you? <laughs> I, just, I, I just like, love that you just, it's like every new phrase yields another. Like, okay, <laughs> yep. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to keep going. It's just like, well, you know, that's how, you, that's how those things go. They just like, feel like. That, they do. Like no, no, no. Times. It works. It's exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. I just feel like now it, now it feels to me like a, a, uh, I don't know, a Spanish telenovela or something, you know, it's like, you just, you know, the voiceover, the dramatic soap opera voiceover. Voy a pasar lista. Oh, that is funny. Pablitos, fish and chips. Um, oh, all right. Well, thank you for that, Reed. Um, you are welcome. And, you know, Vera, thank you for, at least to me, the surprising but amazing you know encyclopedic knowledge you bring to bear uh on ash versus evil dead that's really awesome um, you're very welcome it's like the one time it comes in handy yeah well <laughs> hey you know what we're we're good for something uh, <laughs> we 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 used to say a lot on this show we occupy a very deserted niche that crossroads between horror and faith and here we are you know it's the three of us <laughs> there we are um so this is so exciting. Like, I don't know how to encapsulate the joy I feel at getting to at least have this conversation on this show with you guys. Um, we're in the middle of Funny or Die and um, a peek behind the the sort of uh, show design curtain here is, correct me if I'm wrong, Reed, I think we... Episodes one through four, Funny or Die, were always pretty solid, and and most of the back half was was relatively solid. But but this one was a relatively late entry, right? It was, yeah. In fact, we we had toyed around. We had a slot to fill, and we were toying with a few options. And that's right. Uh, that's and right. then yes, this uh, when when this idea emerged, you and I both thought about it for maybe a second and a half before we were like, yes. Yes, we're well, doing this. And and what's fun is like Reed is such 
uh, uh, a horror aficionado that in so many ways, appropriately so, I kind of defer to your knowledge and, and sort of, um, you know, you, you, occasionally you'll even say, like, what do you think about this one? And if it's something I haven't seen, like, I don't know, I trust you. Like, let's let's do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Ernest scared stupid. Fine, let's do it. Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so it was a really fun moment. We were we were honestly uh, toying specifically with trying to figure out is there a Stephen King piece we can wedge into Funny or Die somewhere? And 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 it you know we weren't quite finding what we wanted. And my two year old right now uh consumes monsters inc like candy i mean it's like in our defense we don't we don't do a ton of screen time so it's it's not like she knows a ton of movies um but we do have a dvd player in our van and when my uh wife is driving the two-year-old to and from places unfortunately she's grown quite accustomed to having this dvd player on um but specifically we just recently got monsters inc uh, as a dvd i know it's crazy like you know (laughs) dvds what are those um (laughs) but (laughs) so she's been watching that a lot and then what that means is at home as well it has been in pretty heavy play and (laughs) i remember you and i texting reed about you know exactly how to fill the gap in this back half of funny or die and it's like it's on while you and i are texting basically is is in my memory it, the, the movie awesome. is literally on and i was like oh my gosh it's funny or die it's comedy it's monsters like it has all the conventions of what we would categorize of horror movies of course it's not played for that sure. um this we will never ever have a better chance to talk about this movie in a formal capacity than we will right now so here we are talking about pixar's monsters inc and i could <laughs> not be more thrilled that's fantastic uh, now, I mean, Vera, fill in a little bit. I know you've got little ones. Is Monsters, Inc., I mean, I'm sure as an adult you're a fan of this film, but, like, do, are, are y'all there yet? What's 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 this like in your home? My oldest watched it with me for the first time when I was re-watching it for um, coming on the podcast today. Yeah. And she really enjoyed it. She is weird and likes, like, I love her. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but... Um, she loves Coraline and Carol oh, uh, yeah. Woman are her two favorite movies. That's awesome. Um, and like every time Netflix takes something off, I have to buy a DVD. So we have lots of DVDs too, because sure. then my children will cry because they can't watch their favorite movies. Um, <laughs> so, but the, I guess Coraline and Paranorman are scarier definitely than Monsters Inc. is. And so I'm kind of trying to, it's like, kind of backpedaling being like hey watch this monster movie that's like not super scary it's super fun and she's like "Mm, i want to watch the scary one but my (laughs) two-year-old is like your two-year-old and loves it right and she is boo essentially right oh that's awesome any two-year-old is boo is pretty well captured sure (laughs) well it's funny you say that because i did read a little bit and there's not a ton of like you know real real significant trivial bits that i'm that i'm aware of at least but one of them was that and I don't have the little actor's name in front of me, but it was an actual two and a half year old that they had as Boo. And because she wouldn't sit still in recording sessions, they would have to follow her around the studio to get her, you know, to capture her her vocals. Oh, that's um, which awesome. is really great. Well, and speaking of two year olds, so mine, I still have um unfortunately rest in peace. The game is no longer uh being made or, or developing new material for it. But I had invested pretty heavily in Disney Infinity, uh, the mm. video game uh, from, I don't know, about 
three or four years ago at this point and still have about a dozen or so of those figures just kind of uh, around our kind of bookcase decoratively and two of specifically are Sully and Mike. So it was really great. Recently, our our two-year-old was watching it and I let her, you know, kind of hold, she was just really enamored with these little toy versions of Sully and Mike and um, stay tuned to the uh, Insta feed this week, listeners, because you'll get to meet my two-year-olds uh directly on there when she's talking about monster sync which is just really fun but you know we we typically do this in trivial bit likes dislikes scares type format but you know this i mean there's so many fun places to go here i want us to just kind of throw out whatever just specifically holding off on theme until we get there more intentionally but feel free to just kind of talk about whatever here read i've chatted for a minute any direct thoughts you want to introduce to kind of springboard us Sure. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off a couple of trivial bits and, uh, sure. and I'll invite uh, Vera to as well if she has any. But um, I do want to point out, because this may be the only Pixar film that we cover, uh, that uh, the Yeti is John Ratzenberger, uh, Cliff Clavin from Cheers himself, um, who has made an appearance in every single Pixar feature to date um, as somebody, sometimes just a one or two line walk-on role and sometimes a more substantial character. Um, but I have a couple of casting notes that I think are interesting, because before Billy Crystal was cast as Mike Wazowski. Um, Jack Black, Drew Carey, Eddie Murphy, and even the late great Robin Williams were considered for the role of Mike. Um, wow. Ironically, Billy Crystal had been offered the role of Buzz Lightyear, and he had turned yeah, and he had turned it down, which he later expressed significant regret for after he saw the film. And he he told Pixar, I I, don't, I didn't write the quote down, but he basically told Pixar, he's like. Do what you need to do for your movie, but keep me in mind if there's something that will suit my talents. And so then it, it sort of clicked for them, and they uh, brought him on as you know the now legendary Mike Wazowski. Um, for Sully, Bill Murray was actually the choice for Sully, and they kept calling him to offer him the part, and he never returned the calls. <laughs> so they wow. just assumed <laughs> that he was that he was telling them no by not re- returning the call. So then John Goodman gets brought on, and John Goodman really pushed for Steve Buscemi, who's a personal friend of his, to voice Randall. And so um, just a couple of fun little like casting notes in there. This was also the... Um, the great James Coburn's final film before his death, uh, about one year later, uh, he plays Waternoose in this. Right. Um, I have two more little notes, uh, and then Vera, I'm going to invite you if you have any trivial bits uh, before we move on. But um, so the the restaurant Harryhausen's is of course a tribute to the great Ray Harryhausen, who was a legendary stop motion animator, created countless monsters on screen, and I do want to point out that. Winning Best Original Song for If I Didn't Have You, uh, this was not only the first Pixar film to win an Academy Award, but it was also Randy Newman's first Oscar after being nominated 16 times. He had wow. Been nominated, he had been nominated 16 times, and If I Didn't Have You was his first Oscar win. And the first was that, Oscar was, win for I, I wonder if the song was written as uh, him to an Oscar. <laughs> maybe if I didn't and that was you. and that and maybe that, maybe they picked up on it and just realized yeah I'll yeah never forget i'll never forget his acceptance speech he started by saying i'd like to thank the academy for giving me so many opportunities to be humiliated and wow um, <laughs> so it was it was pretty funny um my last like the leo dicaprio of like right? being nominated for music composers absolutely <laughs> yeah. um 
I, I do have written here that uh, so the trailer that wa- that Randall uh, ends up at at the end uh, is actually the trailer from A Bug's Life, and if you look closely, you can also spot the Pizza Planet truck parked right beside it. So what? oh 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 the trailer I thought you in my head I heard like movie trailer not like the okay, oh yeah. gotcha <laughs> yeah um so yeah the uh, the actual like uh, living trailer that. Is when Randall right. shows up, like there's a bug in the trailer. An RV. Yes, the RV. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's all the trivial bits that I have. Well, I have two. Go, go ahead. Ooh, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Um, John Goodman and Billy Crystal recorded their lines to in the studio together, which is not something that's normally done. Oh yes, that's right. Normally they record separate sessions. That's really cool. Yeah. And my last one is on twenty three nineteen. Uh, was like a code. Mm. Uh, 23 being W, the 23rd letter of the alphabet, and 19 is S, um, the 19th letter of the alphabet. WS stands for white sock. So it's like monster code for, I guess, something that happens pretty frequently, that like a white sock comes through their portals. Oh my gosh, wow. that's hilarious. And that's exactly what he calls out to every single time they see that white sock on, is it Georgie? Is that the character's name? Yeah. <laughs> so funny. He's like, we're like brothers. And by the end of it, he's like <laughs> smacking him, throwing him. <laughs> I would uh, too, that's a terrible brother. Oh, he's really awful. He's really awful. Um, my only trivial bit, I was actually, I, I thought you would offer this read, but um, uh the fungus who is Randall's sidekick is oh, voiced yeah. by Frank Oz, which was a lot of fun to discover. That's awesome. Yeah, and I yeah. had forgotten that and didn't even hear it in the voice until I no. saw his name in the credits. Honestly, afterwards. the only yeah, I was gonna say that's the only reason I knew it is on the multiple watches we've done recently, is the credits start rolling. I was like, What? Yoda. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. Well, there's I feel like there's just a ton places we can go here i'm gonna start real quick with some two-year-old notes just fyi um (laughs) when you're asking my child you know and you'll again you'll see this this week when you bring up randall she just goes we don't like randall (laughs) he's he's not nice (laughs) we don't we don't like randall and i love i don't know where she got this but i'm happy to let her think it Every time the CDA agents come on screen, she just goes, robots. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, and she just, I, I don't know. I don't exactly know what robot familiar, although there is a backyardigans that she consumed a, a bit called Robot Rampage. But, um, so maybe that's what she's connecting some visual imagery there. But it's just hilarious. One day we're sitting there and the big yellow suited CDA agents and she just goes, robots. it's just really funny um but yeah i mean there's there's so many places to go here um you know of the cda agents i'm just bridging us over into general conversation but specific moments it was difficult for me like if if i literally took notes on all the things i like about this movie we would be here for hours oh exactly because it is so it's so tight it is it is an excellent narrative uh, that actually genuinely has some twists and turns and surprises to it. Sure. Um, the script is, I'm hesitant to use the word perfect, but it feels pretty perfect. Like it is so funny and so crisp uh, in the scripting. And it's interesting hearing those other alternate potential castings. Cause it was funny to read as you were naming people. I was like, Nope, Nope, 
Nope. Because they're like, oh, right. Billy right, Crystal right. and John Goodman are so indelibly linked to these characters now. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't push back on that whole perfect script thing. I think structurally it's perfect. Um, I mean, it's, and I, I had, and yeah, I mean, gosh, all the different, all the different notes. I did segment some things into scares, but yeah, I mean, we all know it's not, it's not a very scary film. You know, that's not, that's not really the point of it, but it's got some great suspense moments. There's, and this is one of the things that impressed me this time watching it through is I was like, there's some genuinely very suspenseful sequences that generate suspense even when you know everything's going to be okay. Like you're watching it and it's like that that's that's a pretty riveting sequence. Uh particularly them trying to take Boo through the factory for the first time and then that whole door exchange at the at the end where they're chasing through the doors and everything. It's Oh, that's great. Really inventive and 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 very very strong, incredibly strong. Yeah, I I thought it was kind of a cop out to write down like likes all of the things right. about this movie, but it's true. Like I do love everything about this movie. And as you were um, reading off the different casting choices, I'm really thankful that everything kind of worked out or didn't work out the way that it did because sure. definitely wouldn't be the same movie, right? No, absolutely not. Um, I feel like uh, I, I you know we can identify some specifics. One that came to me a minute ago. This is more an indicator of comic scripting and timing, but I was mentioning the CDA agents a minute ago and it made me remember the sequence, the sequence where I guess it's, is it when it's a 2319 moment, but all of a sudden they're in the bathroom and all of the CDA agents come out of the stalls. Yes. <laughs> you this? And I just yes. like this. It's comedy like that that is hysterical to me, where it's like you, to put your brain to that moment. It means all the CDA agents are going to the restroom at the exact same time and they just <laughs> literally all jump out and then tackle whoever it was that was. Oh, you know, it's just, I mean, just, I don't know, stuff like that that's just so funny. Well, and I've got to give a huge general love to just the world of monstropolis like yeah it's just it is so fully realized it it feels very very believable naturally it's scattered with uh, you know saturated with call outs to the real world but it is uh i mean it is it's just absolutely a fully realized inhabited place and uh and i just i'm so impressed by it every single time i see it it's it's really incredible i really love that beginning sequence when they're walking down the street and that you know you're yes. meeting all of the different monsters, and they run into Ted, that giant rooster-sounding guy. Who and... <laughs> doesn't have like so dinosaur good. legs, though? I mean, it's yeah, like yeah. the dinosaur-legged creature with the rooster voice. So here's yeah. what's funny: this would, uh, well, Vera, do you know the the specific? I don't know uh, your knowledge of uh, Monsters Inc. trivia, as if it's as encyclopedia as Ash versus Evil Dead, but uh, that creature design. Do you know what he was originally supposed to be? Rex, right? From yep. Toy Story? He was supposed to be like a, an iteration of Rex. Interesting. And, and he was supposed to have a legitimate like Godzilla roar. He was supposed to have this really intimidating roar. And then when uh, Toho would not give the rights to the like the big Godzilla roar, they just used a rooster. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, we talk about these little happy accidents and things. I think there's so many of those stories in this film that it's just... Well, what they were stuck with is actually way better than what they were oh, going to do. So much better. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, one of my other notes: uh, the 
stunning array of faces that Sully makes when he oh thinks Boo's going through the, the <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> you know what's fascinating about that moment? Uh, and I thought this is going to sound silly for a movie of this nature, but that moment specifically, I was like, this is the type of stuff. I remember thinking something similarly watching Incredibles 2, which is a far lesser movie on the whole, but still has some of these uh, uh, striking visuals. It's moments like that, Reed, the the Sully's facial reactions that can only be achieved in animation. You know what I mean? Like right. it's it's this right. kind of right. thing where it's like you can't recreate that sort of visual comedy and visual language in anything but animation. And so I don't know. God, Lee, that scene is hysterical. Oh, it's, it's so, so funny. wonderful. Yeah, it's really, really wonderful. I I mean, I have tons of other places that I could go, but I'm kind of excited to get to theme. I want to make sure, uh, Vera, especially you as our guest, have had opportunity to point out anything and everything that you have that you like about this film and want to mention. Um, I did write down some stuff under, like, scares. They're not really scary. but Sure, sure. Like, the Mr. Waternoose creature design is super creepy. Great. Yeah. And, oh, absolutely. And I love the little touches, like how when his legs move up and down, they like creak and click like a bug. Mm-hmm. Like it's so gross. Um, oh, yeah. And the concept design for the scream extractor and it being I, used up on that. kids yeah. is yeah. scary. As an oh, adult watching that, I'm like, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's um, really nerve wracking. Yeah. And, um, and tense. And uh, I was when I was watching my daughter watch the movie, that's something I like to do. Because, you know, watching it as an adult, you're not going to be scared. But from a kid, there's there's some little jump scenes. And when Randall's checking the doors in the washroom, she jumped. Um, like, just the banging, of, I guess, of the stalls. Wow, yeah. And uh, Randall going invisible in the scare room looking for Boo and how he kind of, like, reappears right beside where they're hiding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Distracted. Yeah, she was, like, really tense sitting on her seat, like, oh, don't find them. So right, from a right. kid's perspective, yeah, that's pretty scary. <laughs> Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think those are the, uh, and, and that's again getting like, this is not the type of, and it is dealing with monsters, but um, there's just some really surprisingly effective sequences that even if you, I think I mentioned this earlier, that even if you've seen it multiple times, there's still, you watch them and you're like really impressed. I'm thinking you mentioned Waternoose's creature design, the scene where he's just rapidly chasing after them before they trick him into the simulator near the end. Mm-hmm. And there's the shot, the angle on the shot, which it's all animation, but the angle on the shot is down closer to the floor. So he yeah, looks yeah. so imposing, and it's it's really very, very he's effective. kind of skittering half on the wall? Yeah, skittering yeah. the word. Yeah. So oh. gross. Um, yeah, it's awesome. I want to I throw, before we get at themes too, but one, so I had the Scream Extractor on my scares list too, Vera, partly because I think I feel, I swear I've referenced this on Fear of God at some point in time, but it's been quite a while if I did. There's this memory I have of, I think, the Muppet Show that had this machine. It was a little sketch, but it was like this machine that rearranged Muppets' faces. Does this ring a bell at all? Am I making uh, this up? I, I, I worry it that up, it's like the Mandela effect thing where I'm just remembering this <laughs> weird thing that doesn't really exist. But the Scream Extractor reminds me of this because I think if I were four or five or whatever and that's the concept of the scream extractor, but also just the visual of this thing, like sucking the face is really creepy. Um, But the others, the only other scare I have, I'm going to pivot to a few other likes, dislikes is um, (laughs) uh, Mike putting the one 
lone dried out contact lens in his eyeball. I'm like, no, <laughs> that looks terrible. What, what, why did, why is that not in a case with saline solution on it? Um, <laughs> unhygienic, Mike. Right, right, right. Um, uh, well, it's not just it's unhygienic. It's not useful anymore when it's dried out. Um, he's going to be bumping into things. So uh, in terms of likes, I mean, she's been referenced, but it can we can't say enough about just the 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 execution of the character of Boo. I mean, it is yeah. indelible. Oh, yeah. I, like, I presume y'all are pop culture nerds enough to have probably seen this as well. Have y'all seen the like, Again, it's just a fan theory, and, and I don't know that Pixar would back it formally at all, but it is really fascinating that there's this uh, meta-narrative to all the Pixar films uh, about Boo's role throughout all of it. Is that I Boo, have seen this. Yeah, that, yeah Boo, seen that the witch in Brave is actually Boo, and she's mm-hmm. been searching for Sully. It's just really fascinating and really fun. Um, but, you know, the, the relationship of boo and sully <laughs> i'm getting a little misty just saying that good lord um, yeah oh my god Aww. you know um yeah. kitty uh you know we can go on for quite a while on that but some quick bullet point lines and then i'll open it to anybody else before we move into theme but of course uh put that thing back where it came from or so help me is just so like, help me so help me it's amazing She's out of our hair. It's just so, it's, it's so great. Uh, just two other quick lines. One is, Mama, another gator got in the house. <laughs> and then maybe my favorite line of this film, and I actually was considering initially using it, and then before Vera came on, I pivoted to the snow cones, was he grabbed me with his mind powers and shook me like a dog. <laughs> Um, I I do want to introduce, but I want, so one thing I'm going to insert here, I have as a dislike, and we can talk about it for a minute if we want to, and, and dislike might be a strong word, but Monsters University, do we want to talk about that for just a second or should we just leave it alone? Well, (laughs) well, I, I like Monsters University quite a bit. Sure. So I will, so I, so I mean like that's one thing where like, well, I will say this. I know that in general, with the exception of the Toy Stories, would it be fair to summarize that in general you're a little meh on any of the Pixar sequels? Is that fair? Um, I would have definitely said, um, and to get nerdy, the prequels, yes, definitely Finding Dory and Monsters U. I'm pretty ambivalent on Incredibles 2. Visually is incredibly striking. Narratively struggles a bit. Well, here's, here's okay, I'm with you on monsters you being a competent film though i'm using that word i know you would probably use a stronger word in positivity but why one reason i don't like monsters you and why even though i would have i would be fine if someone wanted to watch it and I, it's not like a um phantom menace type scenario it's not like a bad movie sure. that's not right. what i'm saying <laughs> what i am saying is the strength not just thematically as in things I'm going to try to offer us here in a minute, but even just the power of the end of this movie is so strong. Mm. Uh, Not just the Boo-Sully relationship, but thematically what they do in the world of Monsters, Inc. Like we are going to pivot from scaring things to bringing them joy is so strong 
that mm-hmm. I it, it's a it's to me it was disappointing. It's disappointing not just that you do a prequel and that the prequel is fine but not amazing, but that it instead of serving what is an incredibly rich thematic sort of uh, 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 well that they then just sort of pivoted back into the scarce thing. Anyway, so that that's dislike again. I'm 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 using that word in a way just because of our normal formatting. Um, I think it's a good movie. I would personally say Monsters U is better than Finding Dory, which I'm not much a fan of. But um, anyway, so that's that's a little interesting. That's... Interesting side note: I I like Monsters U. I think Finding Dory is a stronger film than Monsters really? U. Really? I would need to rewatch them both. But yeah, to be um, fair, I've yeah. watched both of them. I think once on the whole, gotcha, yeah. I think part of my. I'm sorry, Vera. I did not. I did not meaning to exclude you in this moment. This is oh, that's moment. okay. Mom and dad are having a conversation, but um, <laughs> I, I saw you guys outside and y'all were hugging real close. Like, I don't know, you know, it was the abominable snowman line there. Um, I think to me, what sets monsters, you, what elevates it a bit above finding Dory for me personally is just, I do think the end of monsters, you is super strong. That action sequence, that set piece, yeah, you know, in right. the, in the cabin, that's a really, really well executed sequence. Vera, what do you think about monsters? You. I think Monsters U is an okay movie. And it's just not, if you're comparing it to Monsters Inc., it's just not that strong an entry, right? I agree. No, I and agree. of yeah. course, everybody's going to make that comparison because it's the sequel. So yeah, it's, it's all right. It's watchable. Um, it has some great moments, but it's just not Monsters Inc. And did y'all see they've just, they just released promo art because that's the world we live in now. It's like, look, a title. And that's going to get people hyped for Disney Plus. But they're doing a Monsters series that is, I'm pretty sure, set after Inc. I know it's, pr- I know it's not um, in the U era, but it, I'm, it's, it's about the Monsters Inc. factory. I can't remember the title exactly, but yeah, they are doing a series on it. Um, I would be surprised if Crystal or Goodman are involved, except just real peripherally. Um, mm. Any final thoughts on the film? before we sort of go I'm good. Yeah, I think we're good. So like I feel like I, there's a world where I feel like we didn't extract enough <laughs> scream extractor extract enough <laughs> out of the movie or rather that that we skimmed a little more than I would have expected only because I think there's literally like every frame is worth loving of this film. So I think it's, we're probably, there's almost too much to, I know, I know I'm, I'm with you. That's sort that's sort of what I'm saying, but it cannot be. And I know y'all would probably echo this too, but building into this theme and, and, and contextualizing a little bit of my comparison of ink to you is thematically, this movie is so powerful. It is Mm -hmm. very resonant. And like, there are uh, this is not where i'm gonna go uh at least writ large but parenting themes um of sully to boo um the friendship themes of sully to mike are really really strong yeah um a general sort of commentary on economics but i think the more i have sat with this film and i've been sitting with it quite a while lately um or quite a bit lately the more I'm blown away by how adult its scaffolding is. Like the like if you strip away the colors, there's a really strong thematically rich thing happening in this movie. 
Um, and by strip away the colors, I just mean it's a really colorful movie. Like if you just get to the heartbeat of it. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how to wade into this. Um, one reason it has continued to resonate with me since we initially decided to cover it is that the story of Monsters, Inc. is everything I take away from my examination of the horror genre. And what I mean by that is you have, I referenced this on a recent episode, my wife in pondering horror material. She's like, why do people watch this? It wasn't dismissive. It was curious, curiosity. And I said, well, horror helps me be able to articulate the ways in which in society, there are people who control us and people who want to engender fear in a population uh, for, you know, whether it's corporate profits or power or control or whatever. And like, this is what is happening in this movie. It is, I'm going to riff a little bit from some of these notes, but, you know, monsters are taught. Some of this is going to go from the economic into the very specific in a way that I did not plan on when we initially did this or chose this very specific national moment we're in, but monsters are taught to fear humans, right? Mm. Which in turn means they dehumanize them and feel no compulsion about harming and scaring them. Harming is a strong word, but we'll say scaring them. But also we, harming them, scare extractor. Uh, well, true, extractor. true. Yes, yes, Absolutely. yes. The content of the film doesn't quite get to that level, but yes, the economy of the film as it's presented is they dehumanize them and, and scare them. We are taught to otherize people, which in turn means dehumanize them and feel no compulsion about scaring them. I, so it it can't, to me, I can't get away from this image of a society, of a culture, of a an economic system that is built on inciting fear, not just in others, but of others to us. In other words, we incite fear of another, and that galvanizes us to act against them. And there's, there's, I, I, I promise I want y'all to talk here, but the two primary other beats I want to lay down here is read you and I a couple of weeks ago on was the, I think it was Tucker and Dale where he talked about the glass darkly. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I have been haunted by the image in this movie of Sully seeing his face on the monitor. Oh yes. After right, he scares right. boo, uh, he unintentionally yeah. mm -hmm. scares her, but that moment. And I just think, no, we can go places with this if we want. No one can do that for us, right? Like right, what is right. what happens in that moment is Sully is fully faced the the in the glass darkly imagery. It is it is stripped away. There is no more opaqueness between who Sully is and who he thinks he is. Right. You know what I mean? I am a person who has been taught, told, conditioned, paid, uh, engineered to frighten others. And this is something I'm now having to reckon with. And I, I you know, I, I want us to feel the freedom to talk there. I've got a way to maybe tie this together, but, but I'm throwing a lot at both of you and there's three of us and y'all talk back. <laughs> Vera, I'll, de I'll defer to you. I have a few thoughts, but I want, uh, want to defer. Yeah. I, I think that, um, 
the concept of the factory and and how they create um, energy in Monstropolis um, and in the commercial at the beginning of the movie um, that Mike is excited about, they do mention that it is a clean energy source, but at what cost, right? And the, mm. the moral and ethical considerations in the economics of scaring children right. is not right. something that they've considered in um, Monstropolis before, right? right? And so while it may be the most efficient way um, and the energy is needed for the economy to run, should that be reason enough for them to continue to do that to children and to continue that pattern of um, fearing the other and and using them for their own gain? Right, and that's something that what's what's fascinating to me about it, and and I'm going to mention something here uh, again, an attempt to yes and, uh, hopefully not pivoting too far away from where you both are going. But what stood out to me so much is the very simple realization that laughter is more powerful, that the the thing that never dawned on them in their searches for, you know, the clean and efficient way and there's this, you know, energy shortage, there's this scare shortage that they keep talking about that's making the headlines. They're like, yeah, we can't, we can't engender this level of fear anymore. And there's that one scene where, you know, uh, a monster runs back in because a child almost touched him and everything. And never in their initial thoughts until this encounter with Boo uh, that it happens with Sully, never do they ever consider is there something else that might be substantially more powerful and more effective than what we're doing. Um, and, and they just never, they, they dig their heels in on this is what needs to be done. And so then... When it stops working or when it begins to run dry, their ideas are to literally harness a machine where they will extract it direct, like basically dig deeper into that right. rather than right. trying to find an alternative. And I thought I found that fascinating as, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about just sort of the way people can be to one another is the stubborn refusal to admit maybe the time for this avenue has has concluded and we have and and now it is time to look at something that's maybe a little bit different uh and maybe a little bit stronger than we ever had before and uh and I think that's something that we all in our own ways could uh could maybe just be a bit more reflective about when we reach those points of of just exhaustion of like I can't I can't keep pressing into this same thing well, Just because it's the way you've always done it doesn't mean right. you have to keep doing it that way. Exactly. Well, exactly. I, don't, I don't love pure sort of binary options in life in general, but for the sake of simplicity and for this conversation, you know, read what you're setting forth that the movie does uh, as well is it's the difference between maintaining fear and inciting joy, right? And propagating right. joy. And I think... I will apologize ahead of time if I get wound up and, and, you know, I speak as Nathan and not necessarily as fear of God or Vera or Reed, but, um, <laughs> yes, Reed, that is what I was holding off this notion of laughter as the movie articulates it being 10 times more powerful than screams. It requires, it requires a mutual paradigm leap in a culture, mm. right? To achieve an equ equitable, fruitful future for everybody. No longer, what's really powerful to me about how this movie ends, 
um, isn't just this revelation of laughter better than screaming. Although, what a wonderful revelation we would all do well to meditate deeply on. But mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. not just that, but in the world of Monsters, Inc., no longer are the strong and the powerful and the scary, uh, and are, no longer are the strong and the powerful scaring those beneath them, but the smaller and the less physically imposing, but better capable in this case of spreading joy through laughter are achieving a greater thriving society. I mean, I don't. I, I jokingly reference Canada at the top of our time here. I don't know a ton about the, the 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 systems at work in Canada. I just occupy the space I'm in and observe what's happening here. And we, <laughs> this may be an international thing. This may be a, a heightened American thing. I don't know. But we are in a society that wants you afraid. Just period. Like wants mm. you afraid of each other, of people who don't look like you, of people who aren't from where you're from, uh, especially of people who aren't where you're from and don't look like you. That's that's like the, the, the real whammy. There are monster factories in our world right now which are booming with profits from us mm. being afraid. And mm. that to me, when, and, and I don't mean to keep beating this horse uh, or beating this drum, beating this dead drum, dead drum horse, a drum, play, a drum playing horse, um, you know, is is why I and again, I'm going to say it and then I'll move past it. But why I struggle with the monsters you is because I think the thematic richness of ink is so strong. It is mm. stating to be better humans. We have to stop scaring the hell out of each other and mm. not just to be better humans. But I mean, my, what like. Talk about paradigm shifts, I know, or paradigm leaps, rather. This is super random and very specific. I don't know if y'all saw these headlines, but in Oregon, uh, 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 senators in this Oregon State House abandoned the premises. The I, I, I'm going to speak very uh, ignorantly here, but the person who was heading up this vote on a climate change issue had to send police to look for senators so that they could vote on this because they were refusing to vote on this thing that seems a random thing to talk about here but the point i'm simply trying to make yes yeah. is is our our economy like if if you picture the 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 old uh you know kind of what are the things that dig for oil those massive machines you know like it's it is drilling down into the core of what we are as a society is for us to stay afraid of each other because if we're stay if we stay afraid of each other we'll buy more stuff to protect ourselves well you know I, I don't know what you know fill in the gap like it is startling and striking and powerful to me that this movie is saying in order to better ourselves and our society and our relationships and our economy like this is what i mean how crazy rich this text is that putting forth and propagating and seeking to incite joy in others is the way to best do that. And that's just amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. I see, um, like up here, we get a lot of your news and we see what's happening down in the States. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. going to say the same thing. I, I know it's not really reciprocal, but that's okay. Um, but we, hey, I follow Trudeau on Twitter. So, I, you know. <laughs> a lot of people do. He's good with the selfies and the sure, sure. social media. <laughs> and then he but, posts in French, and I'm like, I don't get it, brother. <laughs> no, tu ne parles pas français? 
Yeah, yeah. Wee wee. You went Little Mermaid there. I know, I know, I know, I know. But this, what you're saying, Nathan, does resonate because what we see happening um, in the States and um, it does have a ripple effect too as well, right? right like fear right. begets fear. And we do see, like Canada is not a perfect country. I think we're pretty great, but we do have our issues and we do see some of that rippling here. And I think that... Um, also worldwide you could probably say the same thing is is that that fear spreads and it spreads right. faster right um than the alternative if you're not pushing the alternative which is scary and yet what's so frustrating is that the opposite is more powerful right ah, like that's no. what's so frustrating but oh, when I'm you sorry, look Vera, at the movie it's okay when you look at the movie from the perspective of boo i think that it shows us sort of the the christian approach which is love thy enemy right mm. the the monsters are her enemy she should be scared of them they've spent their entire life and economy like you see through monsters you working up um the ability to be able to scare children in order to right. get energy from them but the moment she meets sully she loves him regardless of the fact that he's a monster he's her big giant cuddly right. kitty and she just wants to like pet him and be his friend and i think that we can take away a lot from from Boo on how we should be approaching our enemy and approaching fear is to love the enemy. Yeah. And it's so fascinating, like that dynamic that plays out between Sully and Boo. The whole reason they think children are toxic is because they've never tried to examine them, understand them, interact with them. Like one of the things that I find interesting about it is that they never, and this is again, it, it should be acknowledged that this is a children's film and there there are ways in in many ways in which the themes stretch into things that adults should pay attention to we should not you know presume that the story would unpack you know maybe some of pixar's later entries would but this story is not trying to unpack you know things that are supposed to make adults think there's no reason given why children are presumed toxic like it's not they don't cite an instance where it's like, oh, back in such and such day, like children devastated or whatever. There's just this unsubstantiated fear that children getting in would be the end of everything. That would just mm -hmm. be just be the ultimate downfall. And so there's no logical choice to try to understand whether or not that premise is is true. And whether or not these children really are toxic and whether or not they would. The moment, I mean, I wrote it down. I didn't mention several things in likes, dislikes, just for brevity's sake. But I wrote down that the panic that everybody feels the moment that a child is in Harryhausen's is just, I mean, it's it's kind of played for laughs. And it, it is pretty hysterical. But when you think about it, it's like, yeah, they have no substantive reason to react this way. Other than the fact that children have always been deemed toxic. And so as a result, they see one and they go into an absolute destructive frenzy. And it's fascinating to me that here you have Sully who reacted the exact same way, but he's the first, even before Mike, to realize, like, I don't think this kid's dangerous. That's his exact line to Mike. Mm -hmm. is like when he sees her yawn and begin to lay herself down for bed, he's like, I don't think this kid's dangerous. And it's, it, it is very touching then to see how he refuses to send her back through some random door. He refuses to send, you know, then, then suddenly as he begins to understand 
he refuses to make those compromises that earlier when, as you were mentioning, Nathan, you when you otherize and dehumanize, then you make all kinds of compromises because who cares about that? Um, right. But the moment they begin to become something else to you, something more personal, something more real, then it gets much harder to chuck them through just any random door. Right. And yeah. that could and, and that speaks again to what you're saying, Vera, about we make the choice. The Christian posture goes beyond just love thy neighbor, which absolutely exists. But um, G.K. Chesterton, who I have not quoted in, in many a minute, um, but has that phrase where it said, the scriptures compel us to love our enemies and compels us to love our neighbors, mostly because they're generally the same people. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a I didn't quote it verbatim, but that's the the gist of that quote. And I think it's a powerful observation to say that, like, yeah, the more we begin to seek to understand what's beyond us, then the more we may begin to recognize the neighborhood around us rather than just this pocket full of things that we would say or that people would tell us is toxic and is dangerous and is going to destroy us. Well, and you read, I mean. You you sort of answered this, but it was interesting because you were talking about you know we're we're not given reason why the toxicity is so insisted upon, but like what you're describing is a normal human society, meaning you know like well in the world of Monsters Inc., yes we aren't explicitly told why they think this, but what we do know is their economy thrives on these children being afraid. So you know we're gonna. We're going to intend them to stay afraid in order to keep our economy thriving. Like this is the the cycle, the 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 systemic problems that are created by a. This sounds real like anarchistic. I don't mean it to be, but like a capitalistic society. Like there's going to be someone who loses. There's going to be someone who quote unquote wins, and we're trained to condition ourselves to anticipate those are the losers, and because we're, we're going to make them that way. I, I I don't want to pivot too hard there, but something that. I would pose to us, I would pose to listeners is like, what does it take to, to have us come into those Sully and the monitor moments, you know, like where Mm. this, this may seem a lofty way to put my own little button on this conversation, but this notion of otherizing this notion, Reed, you just articulated well of like, you know, Oh, my happy bear, you know, when Sully's, (laughs) when Sully's warming to boo and, and sort of having this extreme paradigm shift on his interior self um you know i i think that there's this really scary thing we do that to me is um i will say is unchrist uh antichrist is a strong phrase but <laughs> we we wait for others to prove their value mm. like well in the world of monsters, well, these kids, the, the, the value they offer is what we can get out of them. Like we, that, that, that's all they are. We, 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 if, if, if some differing formulation is going to be made about their worth, it's going to be because they have to do it. Like wh- 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 why should we change? Whereas the true faithful call, right. Is we see worth that's already there. Right. Like, right. You know, it. what's amazing about, and we mentioned earlier, the perfection of this script, it, it is not anywhere out of nowhere when they, just, when they stumble upon, you know, Mike, uh, Sully's moment laughs when he and Mike are walking away from the factory when it's all shut down. And Mike's like, oh, well, he did have a good, a few, a few good laughs though. And, and Sully, like that is, 
that is a, a, a revelatory moment for Sully, but it should not be whatsoever for us because it's all over the movie. Like, yeah, anytime, yeah. anytime Boo yeah. laughs, especially when Boo laughs ecstatically, just the, the world lights up. And mm-hmm. son of a bee, man, like that is that's what we're after. That is what we're supposed to be doing. It is not looking at others and saying, you stay over there or I'm going to make sure you stay over there or I'm going to make sure I stay over here. It is uh, seeking seeking to propagate joy in others because not because they have proved themselves worthy of us or proved themselves worthy of a better station than we've assigned them, but because they inherently have that value already. And I think that's what I get out of Monsters, Inc. Sure. (laughs) Um, I have, I I, I think we should probably wind down, but I have, uh, I have one more comment to make, but Vera, I want to make sure uh, as we're sort of ramping towards the fog meter and, and sort of winding down, if there was anything, any additional observation that, you know, we hadn't brought up yet or that you wanted to articulate further. I just want to give you a pocket to be able to articulate that if you have anything more. No, I'm loving what, what's been said so far. I think that, yeah, the movie, like a big chunk of it is about the, the moral implications of how we treat one another and the, the screams versus the joy and what we should be seeking um, in one another. I think that, yeah, you guys hit the nail on the head. The uh, the potential thank you Vera the the potential uh, sort of possible final button on this I just want to observe a couple of other things like uh, tying it a little bit into scripture even though I don't have these scriptures pulled up um, it's laced all through where you know it says there is no fear in love perfect love drives mm. out fear um, also the joy of the Lord is our strength um, you know there is a, there is a power and a strength we we use a lot in my uh, in the in the charismatic tradition talk a lot about not having your joy stolen like uh, that's not a direct scripture reference but this idea that situations circumstances and sometimes you know male- malevolent powers and principalities will come in and rob you of your joy and deflate your strength um, and uh, and renewing that uh, delighting yourself in the Lord all of these other kinds of things um, I just I really found it very interesting though that this film ends uh, again a possible should have been mentioned in trivial bits the original script for this and the original plan for this film was to end with Sully and Mike sharing a moment in Mike's new car where the car just goes haywire they transmitted that over into a little short that they included just called Mike's new car. <laughs> um, and they moved it over and, and completely excised it from the movie. But they chose, and I think brilliantly and wisely so, to end the movie with uh, what they did end it with, which is one of the sweetest, touching, most uh, most powerful things I think I've, I've seen in any animated film. Because what you essentially end with, yes, you end with that beautiful exchange where Sully opens the door and hears Boo on the other end say, Kitty, and just the look on his face, just stop with the look on his face when he hears and sees Boo on the other end. But, Nathan, you mentioned earlier that it's not just about the relationship with Sully and Boo, but also the development with Mike, uh, their friendship. And it really stuck out to me that this, this relationship gets cut off. There's an understanding, and then there's a gap that gets cut off. But then what does Mike do but goes and meticulously digs through the wood to, mm, to build yeah. back the door, to build it back piece by piece by piece. And, and, and the work that comes sometimes with establishing a connecting point to joy, 
does sometimes take some work. It takes effort. It takes concentration. It takes community. And I feel like a lot of times we will give up because, quite frankly, fear's easier. And it is easier sometimes to just continue to propagate fear um, and to feel like that's the only thing that's there because sometimes initially joy takes a little bit of work. And what I love so much about what this movie is really saying is that it's like, yeah, but once you start that train, once, you know, Sully looks down at the little profit measure or the little energy measure and it just skyrockets now that they're building on laughter, you know, and uh, and I think that's something that really stuck out to me and just this idea of like, yeah, it's really easy to try to propagate fear and to establish fear in people. Joy takes harder work in the initial, but there's so much more power to it. And that once you begin to foster joy, there is so much more strength in it. And we're only going to be able to do that by, you know, we normally talk about building bridges, but sometimes by building doors, not to keep wow. people out, but to connect again to one another and to open those doors, you know, we, that it's like, well, uh, it won't work unless we have the last piece. And that takes time and that takes effort and, and concentration, as I've said. So, and probably my... a little bit of pain as well, right? Like it's a wood yeah. door. He probably yeah. got slivers. Oh, he's, his hands are so bandaged up. Like yeah. I think he said, there's a lot of wound, and you see in his hands is, and, and it's not even played for laughs. It's just a, a tender little observation of like, yeah, Mike uh, has scar tissue from building this entry point. And uh, and that's a that's a beautiful thing. It's a touching thing. Um, and those are and and those are scars. Oh, my gosh. I fear I'm going to ramp up here again. I'll try not to. But um, that that's that's the first thing Jesus did when he was uh, resurrected and appeared to his followers again. He showed his scars. That's the first thing he did. Um, and and there is a notion um, in Orthodox Christianity that our that our scars are part of how we will be known. These ways in which we have been hurt and the ways in which we have um, wound, as in the case of Christ, we have wounded ourselves for love's sake and for redemption's sake. And um, and in those ways, uh, you know, those things are not to be shied away from or avoided or ashamed of, um, but rather to be presented in perhaps a redemptive notion of, uh, yeah, I've got tons of Band-Aids, I've got tons of scar tissue and slivers, but here's a door and we can walk through it and we can have this this connection. And uh, I don't know, maybe a bit mystical, maybe a bit, uh, you know, too broad a brush, but speaking to me quite a bit in in the old monstropolis <laughs> well let me 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 put that thing back where it came from also help me no listen so we're never going to talk about monsters inc again i am like like we're not on video chat right now but y'all would see me just like <laughs> rock rocking back and forth like all this stuff you know reed you you invoked this scripture and it it is like blowing up my spirit and and here I'll put it out there and then unless anyone wants to do otherwise I'll pivot us to the fog meter but I I'll have something to add after you please yes yes so perfect love casts out fear um I speak for myself but so much scriptural language has just gotten diluted over a lifetime um mm -hmm. and that we sometimes need alternate images of of scriptural principles to help drive the message home that much more. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll speak on this and then run with it, Vera. But <laughs> the all of two realities in this movie, the entire fiber, the entire structure of two separate realities, the human world, the monster world, is engineered 
for two characters in this movie, Boo and Sully, to be utterly and absolutely afraid of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, like the world itself right. tells them this is a thing to fear. And the very end of that movie isn't necessarily just powerful because of their relationship, though that is true. Right. But it's powerful because that relationship itself, that no longer making them prove their worth, but seeing it inherent to them, has utterly and completely driven out every smidgen of fear that could be present between them. And, you know, like, I have this image, if I were Etsy, if I were Etsy-minded and knew how to do this, of taking Sully's amazing facial expression at the end of that film and just writing under it perfect love casts out fear because that is what is happening right there there's nothing to fear uh i would say definitely between these two characters and i would possibly say in life itself (laughs) yeah yeah monster saying vera go for it (laughs) um just as you were talking and i was thinking back to to what i had said like Something that I love to do is watch my kids react to things that we're watching. Sure. Um, yeah. And even just watching them as they go through daily tasks um, and finding joy in really simple things. I just love watching that childlike way mm. that they can just find joy in things that would never give me joy because they're I find them mundane or whatever. But they find them so joyful and they get so happy and I love to watch them experience those things. Um, And I think that that's something that we can learn from our kids and from, Mm. from boo. Um, I want to say it's in Matthew when Jesus calls the little children to him and says Mm -hmm. that you need to have childlike faith. Right. Um, Right. I think that that's something that we can learn from boo and learn from watching our kids is how to find joy in, in everyday thing. And I think that help, finding that joy and learning from our children can teach us how we can open those doors. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And move away from fear and into joy. Amen to that. Woo. All right. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so absolutely thankful we did this. Um, So we (laughs) are going to go to the fog meter real quick. Reed, I'm going to let you do the math on these as they come up because my brain is not engineered that way. Um, (laughs) Vera, you know at this point, but for listeners who might not, we do measure all the films we cover on a metric of um, fear uh, and God or, you know, substance factor, that sort of thing. We do it on a scale of uh, one to 10. And then we aggregate at the end to determine exactly what the podcast fear of God uh, how we quantify our appreciation for this film. Um, so on the fear quotient, um, I will start. Um, I don't think this movie is very scary. I don't think there's nothing there. Cause again, I think if you're a kid, there may be some inherently sort of things to it, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with a one on the fear factor there. Uh, Vera, as our guest, what would you say next for yourself? Um, yeah, I think that from a child's perspective, there's some, some scares, especially some jump scares and there's some creepy or tense moments. So maybe a two. Mm -hmm. And Reed, what about yourself, buddy? I'm going to just escalate it right up the ladder. I was going to give it a three um, (laughs) for some of the same reasons we've mentioned, but I do think, you know, there's some existential things to, to sort of categorize as fear, but some genuinely and surprisingly effective suspense uh, sequences that would land me at a three for fear. Um, thank you for that. Um, on the God factor, uh, I'm going to get to it before anybody else can. I'm going to say a 10 for me for Monsters, Inc. Just <laughs> no question. I would like joy, like joy. I would bust the meter if I could, but I will honor 
our already existing scale here. Um, Vera, what would you say on the God factor here? Yeah, I think it's very high. I think it wears a lot of its themes kind of on its sleeve, and I'm going to give it a 9.5. <laughs> All right. Perfect. That's oh, awesome. that is after my own heart. I was going to say, yeah. That's exactly You're welcome, right. Reed. Our, our, for, our foreign <laughs> correspondent, she knows the show. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, somewhat ironically, I'm going to land right near you, but just ding it down just a little bit, kind of for what Vera mentioned about it being on the sleeve, and I'm going to go with a 9. Um, I think it's, uh, I definitely think there's, there's so much there to be mined and, and it is very overt. Um, but it's, but it is lovely and it is, uh, quite alarmingly powerful 20, almost 20 years on, um, to see how resonant some of those things still are. Uh, so that means that we give our official fear of God measurement for Monsters, Inc. is 5.75 on the... (laughs) On the fog meter, we give it, of course, that is uh, merely measuring the fear and the God factors, as it were. But I think we can all probably give the obvious answers for, would we recommend this film? I mean, Vera, would you recommend Monsters, Inc., honestly? Yes, again and again, watch it. Please watch this movie. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Absolutely, unquestionably, over and over. Yeah, absolutely. This is a film that, uh, whether you are a child or not, or have children or whatever, it it has some wonderful things to say, and it says them in a wonderful way. So um, I didn't mean to rhyme, but I did. So that, you know, just <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah. So we all wholeheartedly recommend this film. I want to thank you, Vera, very much for joining this conversation. Thank you for uh, hopping on this crazy train with us, um, Nathan. As always, thank you very much uh, for staying up late and for having this conversation with us. Um, um, and then, listeners, thank you as well. Uh, please go to uh, Don't Forget About Our Contest. Leave a rating and review. Uh, screenshot that and email it to us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, post to social media your thoughts about the show or about an episode of the show, be it old, be it new, um, and then tag us so that we can give you your point values for that. Next week, we are going to be going right back into Funny or Die. We have another exciting installment. We are going to be talking about 2014's film, kind of sh- co-directed by Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi. What We Do in the Shadows is next week's Fear of God installment of Funny or Die. So listeners, check that out wherever you may find it. Nathan, thank you once again. Vera, thank you so much once again for being with us. Thank you both for having me. No problem. Anytime. Reed, good to see you, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I wouldn't be nothing. Oh, wow. If I didn't have you to serve. I'm just a punky little eyeball. And a funky optic nerve. Hey, I never told you this. Sometimes I get a little blue. Looks good on you. But I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have you. Let's dance. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast. Go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Lee Wright and Reed Lackey. Our podcast art was crafted by Jacob Hunt 
of jacobhuntcomics.com. Merchandise for the show can be found at tpublic.com. Just search The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. And last, but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. To say it. Where'd everybody come from? Cause we both know it's true. Hey, let's take it on, big guy. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have. You! You! A E I O, that means you. Yeah. Hi, everybody.